Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. At 17 years old, Ruthie Lindsay was hit by an ambulance outside of a gas station in rural Louisiana. She broke her neck, punctured her lungs, and ruptured her spleen. Doctors performed a spinal cord fusion using wire, and miraculously, she walked out of the hospital within a month. Only, a few years later, newly married and settling into adulthood, a simple turn of her head left her body riddled with chronic pain. Her case confounded medical professionals, and in the months that followed, she became addicted to narcotic painkillers, depressed, and bedridden. After dozens of visits to specialists and surgeons, a doctor discovered that the wire holding her neck together was piercing in her brainstem. Without another surgery, she would be paralyzed. As she prepared for the procedure, her father passed away suddenly, her marriage began to collapse, and she surrendered her spirit to dependency and suffering. The surgery repaired her spine, but she still felt broken, inside and out, until she chose to change her narrative. Ruthie went home to the same town where she almost lost her life. She decided to learn joy again, to retrain her spirit, to soothe her physical pain, to salvage strength from her suffering. She traded fentanyl for sunsets and morphine for picking flowers on the side of the road. Ruthie stopped using her body as a hiding place and started using it as her bridge to connect with the world. Ruthie Lindsay, our guest on the podcast today, is the author of the memoir, There I Am, The Journey from Hopelessness to Healing, Speaker and a Midwife of Souls, Helping Feel Endeared to Their Own Life, Body, and Soul. Her message, which you will hear from the bottom of her heart in this interview, is one of strength and resilience, the faith she lost and rebuilt in herself, and the power of sharing our stories. Ruthie helps audiences remember the healing that is inside all of us and how to fall in love with every part of ourselves, to see the invitation of pain and to remember all that is so right with us, not what's wrong with us. She has spoken alongside renowned activists and writers such as Brene Brown, Glennon Doyle, and Lovey Ajayi. You can find Ruthie on Instagram at Ruthie Lindsay and sign up for her newsletter and workshops through her website, RuthieLindsay.com. She's actually hosting a workshop this Sunday if you're listening to this episode as soon as it's coming out. But if not, you can visit her website and she always has some incredible classes, courses, and offerings up there. In this episode, gosh, it goes so many different directions. And the reason why I just went straight into reading her story is because she really speaks for herself. And I don't want to overdo this intro, but just so you get a little taste of what's in the interview, Ruthie talks about how she came back to life after dying. That is quite literally. And then later on, metaphorically, we talk about loving your body amidst chronic pain, which is a question that I get asked so, so often because it's quite a beast when the body image struggle isn't just an image struggle, it's an actual painful experience, which Ruthie knows so well dealing with it herself. She also shares with us some of her embodiment practices, things that have helped her heal and process emotions and trauma. And we talk about healing from a religious upbringing and the patriarchy, healing from those patriarchal roots that a lot of religion does come from, and the process of finding God and spirituality and 
whatever you want to call it, in your own way. Ruthie just so beautifully embodies all that it means to heal and to be present and live fully. So I hope you enjoy this well-rounded, heartfelt, tear-jerking conversation with Ruthie Lindsay. Please, 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 for the love of whoever you believe in, listen to the entire episode because it's so worth it. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. Here is Ruthie Lindsay. Hi, Ruthie. Welcome to the show. Hi, sister. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, I was just saying, I'm so grateful I get to just look at your precious face for the next hour. (laughs) I'm so grateful for your face too and to soak up your energy. I don't know if you know this or if you remember this because you do so many talks, but I saw you speak live. Tell me everything. No, I don't. Okay. I thought, okay. So you know how sometimes you connect with people on Instagram and I was, I had a feeling that you didn't know that we've met in person. I did not know. Surprise. So you spoke at Melissa's mastermind retreat in Atlanta a couple of years ago. Yes. <gasps> Stop it right now. Yeah, I was there in the audience and that's when you were on my dream podcast guest list and I was like always too nervous to reach out. So then when you reached out, I was like, this is my chance. I'm going for it. (laughs) I'm so honored. Oh my God. You know, this is one of the things that I've had to like let go because I care so much and I don't like use it as an excuse because my brain is so brilliant. But part of my trauma brain is I have a really horrible or I have had, I'm going to reframe that, memory has been a hard thing for me. And I care on a level that's like hard for me to even put into words, like meeting people. Humans matter so much to me. And also in this line of work, as you know, like you meet so many people and people tell me that they met, I used to like punish myself. Because I would just feel so guilty because I'm like, oh my God, you matter so much. I'm so sorry that I don't. <laughs> and now I'm just like, I know that it doesn't mean that I don't care and all this stuff, but I'm so happy to read you. Oh my God. I know. Isn't it cool? No, I was telling you that not because, I mean, I was kind of more of an observer, a student there, you know, which is wild because for me, I'm usually like the one speaking or hosting the group. So when I see a speaker, like I really do soak them up and I soaked you up and loved your message so much. And I wanted to start by saying that because some of the things that I might ask you about, you might be like, who is this creepy stalker girl? And how does she know all this? But it's because I got to hear you speak live. (laughs) And you know, what was so cool about that. That was my first in-person thing. Cause we were still on like the thick of COVID, the vaccine and all the things. And Mm -hmm. that was the first live thing I had done since the pandemic. And it was so special for me because I was just like, oh my God, I love being with humans. And I love, this is like, it's the medicine I need and it's the medicine that I get to offer. And of course, being online is beautiful. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity that we have this, but I I love yeah. So that's yeah. <laughs> that. That one just hit different too, because we were in Atlanta and Melissa organized like a very pandemic friendly retreat. Remember, we were all like six feet apart, oh, masked. Totally. We did air hugs. Oh, totally. <laughs> no, it was so. And most people were zooming in, but there were people that got to be in the room, and that was interesting. You know, we're all in masks and everyone's so spread out, and I didn't care. I was so happy to be with yeah. humans, like. Mm -hmm. so grateful to be with humans. So yeah, 
I feel that. So in an unlikely starting point, especially for those who don't know you, we will definitely dive into your story because it's so beautiful. But what I would really love to rehear, I have chills just thinking about it, (laughs) is your dad and the medical fund and how you paid for everything through the community. I really want to rehear that story selfishly. Yes. <laughs> oh, that man. So profound, so human, so all the things. So I'll try to give like the briefest version. So I had been in a horrible car accident when I was in high school. I died, life support, broke my neck, shouldn't be here, quote unquote, all the things. And back then they used wire and spinal cord fusion. And so they took bone from my hip, wrapped my neck with wire. I was in the hospital a long time, whole thing. But I left, was really lucky, walked out with a neck brace, you know, a month later. Years later in my 20s, that happened when I was a senior in high school. In my 20s, I started having really debilitating pain. And I didn't know a thing, a thing about mind-body connection. I didn't understand trauma and how that shows up in your body, any of the things. I thought this was all physiological. I had debilitating pain it was so bad and no one could figure out what was going on that I was just living in my bed for years and years and years. And finally, almost five years into that, I was on every narcotic under the sun, highest level of fentanyl patch, morphine, hydrocodone. I was in my fawn state, freeze. Like I lived in a bed. I watched TV all day. All I did was eat. Disordered eating has been a big thing in my life. I just ate and ate and ate, watched TV and took drugs and numbed. And was in survival mode. And we found out that the wire that they had put in my neck for my spinal cord fusion had broken and pierced my brainstem. And I'm the only human in the world (laughs) that's ever had that. And quote unquote, shouldn't be living, walking, breathing, brain functioning. I mean, it's like crazy, right? And for some reason, I still get to be here. But we found out about this wire and insurance wasn't going to cover this it was literally a life or death surgery I had to have to like live, to walk. And they didn't know if it would help because no one had ever done this surgery because no one had ever had a wire in their brain. So we found out about that. Insurance wouldn't cover it, pre-existing. And so my dad was on his way to come see me. He was going to tell me that he'd sell our farm. I grew up on a farm in the middle of nowhere in South Louisiana so that I could have the surgery. And that was like what he was on his way to tell me. And on his way, he stopped to visit his Amish friends because he has Amish friends. (laughs) What a trip. And to like pick up a donkey or a mule or something, who knows. And we don't know exactly what happened because he was alone at the time, but he ended up falling down a flight of stairs and passing of brain damage. And it's almost like hard. It almost feels like I'm talking about something I saw in a movie because it was so. I mean, I was so not well. I mean, I've been living in a bed on all these drugs for five years and already before the wreck, there was so much trauma that I wasn't even aware of. So I was so disassociated, so not okay. So freaked the F out because of this wire and felt like this ticking time bomb. And then my dad passes away, you know? And he was like, you know, those presents, like someone that has the presence, they carry this essence of like, I'm going to take care of you. Like everything's going to be okay because I'm here. Yeah, that's you. He was, oh, I do know because I know Ruthie. (laughs) (laughs) 
That is so kind. I will, I will receive that. His presence. If he walked in the room, you'd want to be next to him. He had this magnetic, everyone felt like they were the most important human if he was in front of them. His eyes like glowed. (laughs) I don't know how to describe it other than his eyes were so bright. He just, he was so in love with life. He was so vivacious. He was so magnetic and so human. He had not done trauma work. He had gone to Vietnam, had had a lot of pain, but he like really channeled this into trying to help as many people as possible. And so what was so wild is I did not grow up with much at all. There was like a scarcity thing around money. We just didn't have a lot, but there was a lot of love. And it was really interesting because when he passed, my godfather ended up setting up a medical fund in his honor. And we started getting checks and notes and letters out of everywhere. People being like, your dad bought my prom dress. Your dad fixed my roof. Your dad paid my rent. Your dad sent me to school. Your dad bought my prom dress. Your dad got me into college. Your dad, I mean, full amount of money was raised for me to have out of pocket pay full amount to go to the Mayo Clinic, which is like the top, (laughs) most expensive place. And full amount was raised because of the way my dad had loved people. And my godfather was like, yeah, he would take out loans because we didn't, <laughs> we didn't have much money. He would take out loans from the bank to be able to help people. And I just see like, I really believe, I mean, at the time I didn't believe any of this because I felt like God hated me. There was nothing out there. I was abandoned by life, by God, by my dad. You know, I just had a lot of stories at the time in my suffering and in my pain. And oh, I love that girl. Oh, I love her so much. And it just, you know, now I'm like, I know he was literally behind the veil, moving fucking mountains to take care of me. Mm. And because he had loved people so well on this planet, he came to like make sure I had the surgery and he made sure it happened, you know? So I just, I don't want to portray him as like he wasn't flawed and not human because he's so so human, so human and made plenty of mistakes. And he was like no one I've ever met. Just this presence, this light. He was just a gift. And I feel so lucky that Lloyd Lindsay is my dad, you know, (laughs) that I get to be his girl. And it's, it's an interesting thing. I had a moment a few weeks ago, I went to see a friend speak and saw them on stage. And I hadn't really thought about this before. It was really interesting, even though I know he sees me, he's with me all the time. He, I call him in, we communicate. I know that sounds insane, but I get messages from him. Like truly I do. And I had this moment though, like in the earthly realm, when he died, I was so sick. I was so unwell. I was so parked in my pain story and traumatized and living in a bed. When he died, I'd been living in a bed for almost five years. And on this realm, he never got to see me doing this work. You know, he didn't get to see me thriving, not surviving, but like thriving and doing the work that I believe I'm so deserving of for myself and what I get to offer. 
everyone that I encounter, you know, I just know that he would have been so, and I know he is so proud. So I feel like this both. And when I say it, I know he's so proud of me. And like, I was his girl. I would walk down the stairs literally in the morning and he'd see me, he'd go, there's my girl. Like his eyes lit up. This was not just like if I'd been away for a long time. This was like, cause he hadn't seen me since I slept. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) to have that kind of love, like, could you imagine him seeing me do the work that I have the privilege that he's so a part of that I get to channel pieces of him. And I've got to do a lot of healing work for him that he didn't do when he was in this earthly body. I really believe that. And I just, I know he's so proud, but I had this moment. It was really interesting. I was with my girlfriend. I felt mournful and that hadn't ever hit me before that like, that's how he saw me for the last time in his earthly body. And he never got me to see me really shine and thrive and live living. Like I live my life, you know, I've really made up for a lot of lost time in my bed. (laughs) Thank you for asking me. I'm so grateful when I get to even say his name. Mm. Talk about it because it keeps his spirit alive. And I just don't get to talk about him that much anymore. Really? I was wondering about that because I'm like, she probably asks about this all the time because it's kind of like a big part of your story. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because a lot of the work I do now... For so long, I was so identified by my pain story. Mm. It was like, even when you heard me speak, most of it was my pain story. I don't know if you remember that, but now there's been so much that's shifted in the last year to, and out of a, a lot of painful places, like there's been a lot of unfurling. I feel like I've had, I had an actual metaphysical death in this life, but a lot of, I had an actual real death and a lot of it. <laughs> I feel like so many parts of me have just died. Parts of me that I thought my identity was wrapped up in and what I thought made me valuable and important and special and just, oh, so many things have just died really that don't fit anymore. And so a big part of that has been my pain story. I was so identified by this pain story for so long. And now so much of my work is the invitation of pain and how this is what everything that invited me back home to myself to remember to come back into this beautiful body that's just been loving me that I thought hated me for so long so I've been in so much pain physically you know it invited me back into remembering who I am and my value because I fucking exist I don't have to do anything to be this valuable neither does anyone else on this planet <laughs> you know the more i remember this the more i get to mirror it for every human i encounter and it's invited me into doing just really deep parts shadow work loving on the parts of me that i was taught were bad or sinful or dirty and didn't get to be here or I needed to give to jesus or like falling in love with these parts of me and communing with these parts of me and like seducing them and inviting them to be here so that like they don't have to drive you know but all of that is like what pain has invited me into it's been like my greatest remembering it's brought me back home to myself and back to my body and back to my divinity and I wouldn't change any of it. And yet 
I loved the version of me that was so identified with the pain because she invited me to this version of me too, you know? And I'm sure if we did this podcast in a year, I'd be like, oh my God, that version of Ruthie was so cute. She thought she knew shit. And she thought, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Just the, the earth school journey. But I don't talk about my pain story as much anymore, but everything she's invited me into. I have so many follow-up questions. Okay. But I'll start with this one. When was the first moment after your dad's passing where you had that some version of a thought like, wow, my dad would be so proud. I wish he could see me. When was like that first time you felt you were thriving? Yeah, that took a while. I lived in my bed for seven years, had a a lot of nervous breakdowns. I was really unwell for a really long time. I've been to treatment. I've been to more therapy than you (laughs) more. Like I was really unwell. Oh, that sweet girl. So it took a long time. I remember the night that I got to speak with Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle. And uh, I, I just was like, you know, in front of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And I just remember being like, my dad would have been on the front row, walking around, shaking everyone's hand. Because he would do this, listen, way before any of this. He was so proud of who I was just existing. He would walk up to people and be like, hi, I'm Ruthie's dad. Not say I'm Lloyd Lindsay. He'd say, I'm Ruthie's dad. Like he was so proud to be my dad. None of that changed, even though I was living in a bed. Like he was still so proud to be my daddy. But I just think about it landed pretty hard. I remember that night. But honestly, can I tell you what I think he'd be the most proud of? Because I, I mean, that's like something that like maybe the world would look at and be like, that was pretty profound, you know? But I think the thing that he's the most proud of. And I hadn't even really thought about it until you just asked me. So I love this question. But every time that he'd leave us when we were children, he'd say, I love you so much. Remember your manners, which also kind of goes into the good girl shit, which I'm totally let go of. But um, <laughs> I always look out for the little guy. And his whole thing, not because he thought anyone was lesser than, but like, look out for the person that everyone else misses. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I thought that what makes me valuable are the people that know me and the people that I know and that the world notices me. Like I thought that's what made me special. Now that part sits at my table, that sweet little ego, (laughs) she sits at my table (laughs) and I love her. And I'm like, I see you friend. You're cute. Go sit down. (laughs) But I actually was just talking about this with one of my clients. I really released the story of like being special. I know that I'm special because everyone's special. And I know that I'm also nobody. Like we're all, we're all one and we're all equal. And what I was telling my precious, precious client was what if the whole reason I came here was like to make the man, there's a gas station at the end of my road. What if the whole reason I'm here was just to love him and for him to feel God's reflection through me? of how special and worthy and good and deserving and beautiful he is. What if that's the reason I came to this fucking planet? Just to make his day. And I think that aspect of me is what makes my dad so proud because 
that's my intention each day is I'm like, okay, I, I work with Mother Mary a lot. And I'm like, Mother Mary, give me your eyes. Give me your heart. Give me your words. And just use me. Like, use me. So that people feel so loved. And they feel reflected like they are mirrored their divinity by the way I look at them. Do I always do that? No. Can I be so basic? Yes. Can I be so judgmental and critical? Yes, of course I can. (laughs) I'm so human, but that's my intention. And I really, I set out to like, when I encounter people, that is my intention. And I think that is what would make him the most proud of me. Mm. And that's what I'm the most proud of in me. You know, like, if I don't do one other thing on a stage, I'm not known by anyone, the world, blah, 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 blah. Who fucking cares? Like if Transito, my precious friend who cuts my grass, feels loved by God through me. Wow. <laughs> That's so profound. Yeah. Yeah. I really resonate with how you said, I don't feel the need to be special anymore. And the word that I've been loving instead is telling people that they are extraordinary, extra ordinary. I tell myself that I don't tell other people that, but I really feel that in like, Mm. just the way the word breaks down. I am so extra ordinary. Yes. (laughs) I love that. That's so good. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, modern day feminism and goal setting and everything. Everybody has to be special. Everybody is worthy of achieving big things. And to that, I always say like, yes. And yes, you could also be like really mediocre and (laughs) that's fine, especially in certain areas, most areas, except for maybe that one little sliver, whether it's making somebody feel great when you encounter them at a gas station or it's something more talentful or a gift. Yeah. But it's also, it's just like, I think the greatest gift I can give anyone on this planet is my presence. And like this thing, this phone, this takes away from me being with you. I'm not with you. And I'm not with myself. If I'm here on this phone, I just catch myself constantly. And I constantly tell myself, you're here. It's constant because of trauma, because of a lot of things that have happened. I just leave my body in a millisecond. I am gone. I am back in the multiverse. (laughs) I'm like, bye. I'm also an air sign. I just, (laughs) I get to really intentional work to come back into my body and to be here. I'm constantly, constantly like, we're here. Like, I remember hearing this shaman and it's one of my favorite quotes now say that knowledge is just a rumor until it's moved into the muscle and i was like whoa i realized i had so much head knowledge about trauma about life but none of it was actually embodied it hadn't been moved into the muscle and i was like my whole life up to this point has been a rumor i could talk about it but i was never actually there it was always spinning. It was in the future. I was in the past. And I'm like, I do this all the time. I will literally be somewhere. And I'm like, this isn't a rumor. I'm here. I'm here with you right now. This isn't a rumor. I am in my body. I can feel my seat in my chair. I can feel my feet on the ground. 
I can feel my heart beating in my chest. I can feel energy in my legs. I can see you. I see these colors and these senses and it's all through the senses. Like that's the only way we can be present is through our body, through our senses. Cause like even think about how many times we're like in conversations with someone and we're thinking about the next thing. We're not here. We're so rarely here. And I think that's the most extraordinary gift we can give this world and give ourselves is to be present to it. Hey, self-lovers, just a quick break to tell you that this episode is made possible by my partnership with Athletic Greens a green strength that I've been having literally every single morning. I've heard so many ads for AG1 by Athletic Greens, and I wanted to know what all the hype was about. Like, I was really curious, and let me tell you, it did not disappoint. FYI, you know that because of my background in bodybuilding and just seeing how incredibly shady the industry can be, I am incredibly picky with my supplements, and there's not many I will actually put in my body just because I've seen the junk they can put in there. But AG1 is transparent with the ingredients and there are no nasty chemicals or artificial anything and it surprisingly still tastes amazing. AG1 is a greens drink with 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens to support your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, and focus. I've truly just felt so great since I've started drinking Athletic Greens every single morning. It just gives me energy. I don't have any brain fog. It sustains me throughout the day. Sometimes I don't I don't even need coffee when I drink Athletic Greens because I'm just like excited to take care of my body, my health and just feel good doing it. I also love AG1 because it gives me this sort of nutritional insurance. So if I go a day or two without eating a vegetable, it's all good. I know I'm still getting my nutrients in with AG1. No need for a million different pills and supplements. You can look out for your health by taking one scoop of AG1 and a cup of water every day like I do. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash cup of tea. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash cup of tea to try AG1 and take care of your body by giving it this daily nutritional insurance. I often think about a video I saw just on Facebook and this toddler was throwing a tantrum and it was a 15 minute long video and the dad is just sitting on the floor doing absolutely nothing, just sitting on the floor, being present with the toddler and his big little feelings. And it was so beautiful. It made me cry. I watched the whole 14 and a half minutes because, you know, that's all we crave. And obviously my inner child came out and I was like, I wish somebody sat with me when I cried. And now I just get to sit with myself as I cry. And that video is so profound for me that those just, you know, a little Facebook one. But yeah, I I really firmly believe that presence and connection are just two such big, big values for me. I'm wondering, as you moved into embodied healing, trauma healing, and specifically the part with your body and everything you went through medically, because I talk a lot about body image and learning to accept our bodies. I think it's a whole different beast when for, what is it, half your life or a decade? Oh, Yeah, I've had chronic pain 
since I was 24 and I'm 42. And is it still present for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you live with it. Talk to us about loving your body amidst chronic pain. Oh man, the sweet body. You know, my friend Jamie Lee Finch, who's an embodiment coach, she always says that loud bodies are such loving bodies. And our bodies get louder and louder and hurt worse and worse because they're calling us back in. And that's usually what our trauma response is like, okay, now I got to get even further out of here. Let me get the fuck out because this is so painful, you know? But she's actually calling us back in to do this work. And it's always connected to trauma. You know, we are not taught how to sit with our trauma. We're not taught how to release pain and trauma. I love that you brought up the toddler because ironically enough, right before we got on our call, I had my last client of the day and I was teaching her some release techniques. And one of them is getting on the ground like a toddler and kicking and screaming, throwing a tantrum, throwing a tantrum. Because if I wasn't allowed to do that, I needed to be a sweet, kind, gentle, good mannered girl. And so I learned how to swallow all my emotions and all my feelings that mainly became through food. I learned a lot about this whole thing. Like the divine feminine, when we're not held in that space and allowed to just fully be, we go to hunger. So of course, so many, and then a ton of men do too, because we all carry the masculine and the feminine within us, but the feminine goes to hunger. So we're trying to fill this place inside of us. And so I was sat in front of a TV with food day one, you know, that's how I learned how to comfort my very empathic, very porous, (laughs) highly sensitive self. Cause I felt not only my emotions, but everyone's around me because I didn't understand how to not take those in, how to not absorb them. So I just swallowed it, right? And so now as an adult, I have a lot of practices to release emotions from my body. And one of them is literally getting on the ground or in my bed and screaming, no, kicking, screaming, yelling at the top of my lungs. And I throw fits. I literally imagine myself in the grocery store as a two-year-old throwing a fit. And I think our bodies, oh goodness, you know, all of our emotions, all of our trauma is held in our bodies, all of it. We cannot talk our way out of it. You know, it's interesting. I had two different therapists that told me I was good and didn't need to come back. And I'm like, hello, ma'am. I am not okay. What do you mean? But I knew so much about trauma. I had studied so I knew it, but none of it had been embodied yet. I didn't know how to feel it. The first time I visited a somatic therapist, I remember I was telling one of my stories and I love telling a story. I'm talking, I'm like, you know, and she stops me and she was like, but how did that make you feel? And I was like, so annoyed with her. I'm like, don't interrupt my story. (laughs) I'm talking. And she's like, makes me stop, ask me how I feel. And then she goes, and where do you feel it in your body? And when I tell you, I wanted to punt her to the moon. I'm like, I don't get in here. I don't know. I'm telling a story. Like, leave me alone. I'm entertaining right now, you know? And it was such a wake up call for me because I had never, I had been gone from her for so long and she just got louder and hurt worse and hurt worse and hurt worse. And what's been so beautiful on paper, there's no reason for my pain to ever get better. Like I was convinced that I would be in a wheelchair at some point. Like my pain just, it got worse and worse every year for 15 years. 
I would say that every year, my pain will get worse every year for the rest of my life. And I believed it and it did for 15 years. And then I actually had this really profound awakening experience with plants. And I was like, I am not broken and I am created to heal. And that has sent me on this really profound embodiment healing journey of remembering. And everything came through coming back into my body. Like on paper, nothing has changed. I still, my neck looks more like a freaking toaster oven. They had to take the wire out and they had to refuse it with titanium screws and take more bone from my hip. And I mean, it's like crazy the amount of metal I have in my neck. And my pain isn't like it used to be because I've done so much trauma work and I will continue to do so much trauma work and releasing so much learning to listen to my body. Like my friend, Dr. Hillary McBride told me for every message that our brain has for our body, our body has 10 messages for our brain, but we're so cut off. She's talking to us. He, they are talking to us all the time. And so my practice is being really gentle. It was learning my yeses and my nos and how holy we were talking about this before we started. Like they are so sacred. Now, of things I used to say yes to because I was such a pleaser because I didn't want to hurt anyone's feelings and I didn't want anyone upset with me and I didn't want to make anyone mad and I had no boundaries. The things I've let people do to me, right? Because I just I felt codependent. I didn't want to be weird or I didn't want them to think certain things about me learning to listen to my body's yes and no, because sometimes my mind will say something, but my body is the ultimate, the authority. My body, she knows. Like I can spend a million stories up here. Like there are things I don't make decisions, big decisions anymore without checking in with my body because I've learned how to hear her yes and her no. And I can be like, oh, but this would be really good. And she's like, nope. And I'm like, okay. You are the final say. And the more that I do that, the more she trusts me, the more that I, you know, I had this really profound journey probably about two years ago and I'll never forget it. It was a pretty life-changing experience for me. I was on a self-guided plant medicine journey and I remember her saying, how would you treat me if I were your lover? And I just started crying so hard because I was like, I realized It wasn't because I was shaming myself, but I was asking forgiveness because of all the ways that I had been so mean (laughs) and so avoidant. And I just started saying, oh, I'd spend so much time with you and I'd listen to you and I'd stop lying about you and I'd speak so gently and kindly to you and I'd massage you and I'd bathe you and I'd cook you the most nutritious, delicious foods. And I'd spend so much time in nature with you. And I'd go on road trips with you and we'd sing at the top of our lungs. And I'd make such beautiful love to you. And I was just bawling. It was like the truest. This is the only thing I'll ever own in this life. From beginning to end until I'm back home in the in-between, this is the only thing I'll ever own. And oh, I just, you know, when I was like in the Christian world, they'd say your body is a temple. And then for so long, I threw all that out. And I'm like, don't talk to me about any of that shit. And now I'm like, I'm so committed to being the best friend, the best lover, the best mother to myself, this temple, this beautiful queen goddess temple in this human form. I'm like, 
oh, I want to bless you and honor you. And do I forget? And are there times that I want to binge? Yes. Do I deny her and avoid her and still speak really mean at times? I sure do. And then I notice, I'm like, oh, sweet body. I just lied about you again. I'm so sorry. I love you. And I get to be in relationship as though it was a partner. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to lie. I'm going to avoid. I'm going to shut down. And I get to ask for forgiveness and I get to listen and I get to like repair. And so I don't do any of this perfectly at all, at all. But I'm, I'm so much more conscious and aware and I'm, I have a lot more compassion and grace for myself. I refuse to be my own second wound because we like, you know, we'll make these mistakes or these shadow parts of us will come up. And usually we shame ourselves and we become our own second wound for being so human. And so I'm really committed to bringing love and compassion to my very human mistakes and conditioned beliefs. Those are usually pretty fucked up and pretty lack. <laughs> there are a lot of lack stories of what's wrong with me, you know, and I'm really becoming more and more conscious and creating space to like notice it and to love on those parts of me that you know, I was fed a lot of lies. We all were about who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to look and what blah, 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 bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. (laughs) Again, so many follow-up questions. (laughs) Where do I start? I often tell myself, let the body lead and the mind learn. Yeah. I repeat that to myself, let the body lead and the mind learn. Oh, that is bigger nuggets. I need to write this down. Oh my God. I'm a nugget person. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) one of my mentors told me that very, very early on. And I felt like, I mean, when she said it, we were doing like this dance practice. So I'm like, okay, cool. It makes sense in dance. And now I'm like, no, it makes sense in every context. I'm sure you've read books like The Body Keeps the Score. Yes. And you mentioned the tantrum, letting yourself through a tantrum. Yes. Just a side note, I got to share with you. This is like a girlfriend. Um, Somebody asked me years ago, years ago, it's crazy to say years. Well, yeah, my boyfriend and I have been together three years, I guess my fiance now. And (laughs) I don't know if he met you, but he was there when we met somewhere in the hotel. But anyways, I think it was a friend of mine, but she was like, what do you think makes you and Stan like work so well? Or why do you like not really fight that? I mean, we have our stuff, of course, but I feel like the way we fight is just so healthy. And I was like, girl, honestly, we wrestle every single day. And when I mean wrestle, I mean, we go at it. I have a minute so cold. We're like being so stupid. Sometimes it'll turn into a real fight because we take it too far. But when I say like we are on the couch in our bed on the floor, like tackling each other to the ground daily and laughing our asses off, we literally do it every day. I'm not kidding. And so people are like, okay, well, I don't know if I could do that. And I start with, if you really want to bond, then leg wrestle. So like you put feet to feet, you know, you're both laying flat on your backs, feet to feet, and just like leg wrestle to move energy around, get a little physical. It's not even sexual, but it can be if you want it to be. It's intimate. It embodies all the embodiment tools, I feel like. And we do it just because we're 12 years old at heart and being stupid. But as I was thinking about like how naturally and like how healthily we let out our like (laughs) feelings towards each other in this like really weird wrestling routine. (laughs) I thought you might appreciate it. 
Well, I also grew up with all boys and like I wrestled all the time. Literally, I <laughs> love that so much. I'm obsessed with that. That is so beautiful. And so fun. Uh, I can be with someone. I can't. It's like, it won't happen. I can't be with someone that I can't be really silly, really goofy and laugh. Like the last guy I was seeing, I probably like would have looked past so many things because we laughed harder. Like I would be like in tears laughing. I'm like, this is my medicine. Yeah. Every day. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. I thought. I had to share that with you. (laughs) But a more serious question, I think we have a lot of religious or ex-religious listeners. I mean, I think just our culture too is kind of religious, even if you're in a more secular household. And I'm wondering how you made that shift from being told as a Christian, I believe, like your body is a temple and then pushing that away and then kind of coming back to it in a different way. And if you had any like experience with religious trauma or what your relationship with God is like, I really want to hear about that. And also how embodiment goes into that, as I'm sure it it applies to. Yes. Oh, I love that question. A lot of the women I work with are going through deconstruction because that was a big part of my journey. And everything I offer everything I do, everything I offer is the medicine that I've needed and that I get to offer myself, you know? So I was very much a part of a church. I was a part of a very patriarchal denomination where like women couldn't teach. We were told we were broken, depraved wretches. That's the songs we sang, the hymns we sang were about being broken, depraved wretches and that our body is sinful, that our hearts are deceitful. And I believed all of it. It fit real in line with everything I already believed about myself. So this was just like, check, 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 check. I married my first boyfriend 10 months after I met him because we felt such guilt and shame about having sex. I worked at a church. I worked at two different churches. I was very infiltrated in that world. Like I couldn't even, I wasn't even allowed to like teach in front of a congregation, which is so hilarious. Gay is sinful. You know, there's so many stories. So have you ever heard of Richard Rohr? I don't think so. Okay. He's one of my favorite teachers. He was my first like toe back into spirituality because he's so expansive. But he talks about how there's order, disorder, and reorder. And it's the natural progression. And everyone won't move through all the phases in this life. And they'll come back in a different body. And everyone doesn't believe in that either. And that's great. I don't care but I do. And everyone won't move through all the stages in this life and their journey is perfect. And there's nothing for me to change. There's nothing to fix. Like most people where I grew up are very in the ordered phase. And the order phase is everything fits in this little box. God fits in this box. You got to fold yourself and mold into this little box to fit in and to belong. And there's a lot of fear. And this is what keeps you safe. This is going to keep you safe in life. This is going to keep you from burning in hell. There's just a lot of fear, right? There's a very conservative political place there, you know? And we in that place believe that everyone out there needs help being saved. They're lost. They're dangerous. Like at my house, we mocked people like me. I mean, I made fun of people like me at the dinner table most nights, you know, like straight up. I would have been 
horrified by the human I am today. (laughs) Like actually horrified. Sorry. What do you mean by people like me? Oh God. I mean, I am, I believe in so much expansiveness. I work with guides and angels and I work with plant medicine and I believe in sex magic and I bleed on the earth every month. And I'm so human and love the real housewives and (laughs) like I'm all of it. But like, I am very woo-woo and witchy and human and I connect with the divine and I hold a lot of ceremony. I offer ceremony. I work with plant. I mean, I didn't know what any of that was and I would have been actually horrified, like horrified by me. Then like, just take me now, God. She is lost. She gone. Pray for her. No. <laughs> I, I love been. how your accent gets a smidge more su- Southern when you say that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would just, no. So then the next phase, and everyone will leave that. A lot of my family will be there and they're perfect, right? The next phase is disorder. And that's where you move into when like, your world kind of falls apart. And I believe that my soul signed up for a lot of shit. And I believe that like my world imploded to say the least imploded. And I hated my life and I wanted to die. And I was in debilitating suffering pain day in, day out. We didn't go and tell the story. People can Google me. I told that story many years. There's a lot of pain story. (laughs) You can hear the whole thing and I wrote a book about it, but I moved into disorder and you almost have to hate the stage you're leaving to have the strength to leave it. And that's natural. That's the natural progression. Wait, can you say that again? You almost have to hate the phase you're leaving to have the strength to leave it. So Mm. I had to like hate, I I didn't want to hear the word Jesus. I'm like, if someone said Jesus to me, I'm like, I'm about to punt them. But I would smile and pretend like I didn't care. But I'm just like, fuck me, I cannot. If I heard like religious talk, I just, I hated it because I felt so wounded by it at the time. So traumatized by all the things that it told me and all the stories. I was parked in the disorder phase for a long time. And it's still this very dualistic us against them because then you move to the more liberal disorder phase. And you're looking at them like those close-minded fucking idiots, right? You're just like, you are so stupid. And what kind of shit have you done to me? And you trauma. And there's this very us against them, right? And some people never leave that phase. I was parked there for a very long time, right? I was very angry and I didn't want anything to do with religion. Don't talk to me about God. I felt abandoned by God. I felt abandoned by life. I felt like there can't be anything out there. If there is, fuck you, because this is horrible and I want nothing to do with you. That's really how I felt. And the third phase is reorder. And I can still dance back in disorder. Like I can still get judgmental. I still do the dualistic (laughs) thing. It's not like I'm this, I am not an enlightened, fully like healed being. I am still very human, but The reorder is when you step into the remembering, it becomes a very non-dualistic place where you see that everything was a part of the journey to get you to this place. Like you can't jumpstart and get from New York to LA. You have to go through the middle America. Like you have to, there's no skipping a place, you know? So I can truly, and I mean this from the depths of my soul. I don't, and I've let myself feel anger. I've let myself mourn. And if that wants to come up again, I'll feel it. But I genuinely have so much love for the earnestness of like 
They were really trying to keep me safe. And they really believed that was the most loving thing they could possibly do for me. So I can look at the pastors that I felt really hurt by and my parents and things that, you know, they did that they didn't know better. Like, like my mom did the best she could. And there was a lot of things that were really, really painful. And now I'm like, I love that I chose you as my mother, because if I hadn't, you became my invitation. There was an abandonment story around it for me to literally ultimately learn how to mother myself in the most, I mother the shit out of me. And now I get to be a mirror and teach others for them to remember how to mother themselves and father themselves. Like I did a whole workshop on it yesterday and we get to go back in and do this for ourselves. And our little limbic brain that doesn't know time, doesn't know that's not exactly how it happened the first time. So I have attuned to me and loved on me and told little Ruthie everything that she needed to hear that wasn't said to her. Mm-hmm. And my brain didn't know that's not exactly how it happened. And if that hadn't been my mom, I wouldn't have had to learn that. And then I wouldn't have been able to do the work that I get to do with these profound humans that I get the honor of getting to work with and getting to be friends with. And I just, I can look at it now and just see like all of it was my invitation. Even that girl parked in her bed in complete disorder, hating her fucking life on a level I can't even describe and just dreaming of death. If that hadn't been my place, like I wouldn't be able to sit with people that I get to sit with. I wouldn't have a context of what it is to literally want to die. I wouldn't have had the invitation to be the version. If that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be the woman sitting across from you today. And that doesn't take away. I'm not one of those people. This isn't like toxic positivity. It was so fucking traumatizing and painful. And I have mourned and I've raged and I've let myself scream and I have wept and wailed. And I love the woman that she has invited me into being. I am so endeared to my body, to my heart, to my soul, to the way that I get to move through the world, to the way that I get to interact with humans, the way I get to enter in with humans, because I I understand. And I know it's not the end of their story. So I get to also hold so much hope for people. I'm like, if I, <laughs> let me tell you, I was a goddamn nightmare. <laughs> if I can heal and be in love with myself and my life, I know that this is ours. This is not mine. This is ours. And I believe that is one of the reasons that I'm here. Tell us about the workshops you teach. Okay. Oh, I feel so lucky by the work I get to do. (laughs) I just feel so lucky. So this weekend on Sunday, I'm teaching a workshop called How to Like Yourself 101. (laughs) Okay. Why is it how to like yourself and not how to love yourself? Because I think love sometimes feels like too big of a stretch. And they're like, I can't even freaking like myself, much less love. This work moves you into the invitation of loving, but it's like that first that step. And it's for everyone. Cause like, think about the voices we have in our head, these conditioned stories. And we think it's our voice, but it's the voice that's been handed to us of what's wrong with us, how we look, 
how shitty we are, how bad we are, how everyone else does it better, that we're behind, something's wrong with us. Like there's so many stories that the patriarchy has handed us, that our family handed us because they're in the patriarchal system and they weren't taught any differently, that the government teaches us, that our teachers taught us, that our friends taught. I mean, like every time you pick up your phone, the shit that you're inhaling, that's so, it's just lies. It's just lies. And so this practice is learning how to begin witnessing them. And I take people through, I always call myself out. I like share all the parts of me that I've hated, the parts of me that sit at my table that I've been shamed for. I mean, listen, I like to invite all the parts of me to sit at a table. And I always am like, my table just keeps growing and growing and growing. I didn't know that was there. Oh, didn't know that was there. Oh, that's in me too. <laughs> like. I'll just give you an example of a few. And my God, there's bazillions, but lying sits at my table. Cheating sits at my table. I used to steal little things all the time. Because there was a story that there's never going to be enough for me. Like, I'm just going to take this like roll of toilet paper because like they have a lot more money than me. And like, I mean, all the time using people sits at my table. I mean, I didn't do it consciously, but I did it because I thought that's what makes me valuable. That's what makes me important. This person knowing me makes me special. Disordered eating sits at my table. Jealousy sits at my table. We could literally be here all day. Also, like, you know, (laughs) joy, pleasure, sensuality, sexuality, delight, wisdom, kindness. I mean, I'm all of it. And for me to deny any part of me is to literally diminish my wholeness. I am all of it. And we're taught certain parts of us are bad and are sinful. We need to give those to God, give those to Jesus. Of course, they don't fucking go away. They move to the basement and then they come out sideways and they drive. They sit at the head of our table. But when we learn how to start noticing them and instead of shaming them and becoming our own second wound, instead loving those parts of us. And I take people through this really beautiful meditation that I've pulled from different things I've learned and then repiazed it. And we get to go back in and commune with that part because it's old. It's always old. They say when our responses are hysterical, they're always historical. And so it's these old parts that just long to be felt, long to be communed with, long to be like told the things that we needed to hear in those moments that we weren't. And so I take them through a very beautiful meditation that like takes you to this inner child part of you. And then there's always these like embodiment parts because again, knowledge is just a rumor until it's moved into the muscle. So we do like nonlinear movement and we move it through our bodies and we dance with these parts of us that we've hated and we commune with it. And so there's a lot of practices that it involves. We do mirror work and it's all just practices. You know, I didn't believe myself when I first started doing this because I'd practice hating myself for the first half of my life. And so it's practices and it's so gentle. It's a very divine feminine way. It's very tender and receptive, kind and gentle. So that's one of my favorites. I'm doing that on Sunday, but then I also do one-on-one coaching with mostly women. I've gotten to do a few trans men that are like my favorites. And that's always just so beautiful. Sometimes we're doing like sexuality work and how is it to like find real pleasure within your body? And sometimes it's working through like the deconstruction phase. It's all like embodiment and self-care and self-love and coming back home to ourselves. A lot of people I work with 
that have debilitating pain. So I do another course with my friend Hillary McBride called The Invitation of Pain. So there's just all kinds of stuff always going on. And I get to also lead retreats and those are always such a gift and such an honor to get to do. And so, yeah, there's always a lot of fun things going on. Did you say Ruthias? Yeah. Is that what I heard? Yeah, I did. Because <laughs> it, 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 it's that. definitely like you'll hear me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how can we get Ruthanized if we want to come to the course on <laughs> on Sunday or another one? Yeah. So I um, I have several ways you can follow along. I have an Instagram. It's just Ruthie Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y. And then I also have a Substack, like a newsletter. I've been using that a lot more. It feels a lot better to me, honestly, than... Does it? Oh, it feels... Just thinking about it. Yes. It feels so... Good because Instagram is such a mindfuck, and I just I'm like I bless it. I'm like thank you for everything you brought to me. I love this community, and most people can't even see my work anymore. Algorithms, you know, and this is like it's a way smaller audience. But like if you want to see my work, you're gonna get an email in your inbox. And each month I have free offerings when you sign up for it. There's like I do full moon offerings, I do nonlinear movement offerings, and it's just if you're signed up, which is like there's a free version and there's a six dollar version you get all the stuff and it's just the sweetest community. So through Instagram or the Substack, which is also through my website, which is just ruthielindsay.com. I'm always sharing. Like today I had an email go out that shared all the offerings. I share like the retreats that I'm doing, the workshops that I'm doing, the free offerings. I offer a lot for free because I really believe in also... I want my work to be accessible and I always have a lot of scholarships. So like Everything I do, 50% off goes to LGBTQ plus and to the BIPOC communities. Like every workshop I do, I offer a 50% discount for those communities. So yeah, it's so sweet. And it feels like, it feels like such an honor. I mean that from the depths of my soul. It's such a privilege and such an honor to do this work and to work with these profound, beautiful souls. And I think the whole reason I'm here is like, for me to remember and be a mirror of remembering because like they don't need me. I'm just here to help you remember how profound and divine and holy and sacred and human you get to be. All of you, every freaking part of you gets to be here and gets to be loved one and you're deserving of it, you know? Thank you, Ruthie. Your newsletters, is it called Love's Invite? Is that what it's called? Love's Invitation. Yeah. Love's Invitation. I love that. That's on the website. I just want to highlight that in case you see it and don't realize that's the newsletter. If you click on that in the menu bar, I'm signed up and I'm really excited to to hear more about your offerings because you share so much of yourself so generously. And that's a huge gift. It goes into the presence that we talked about at the beginning. Before we farewell, I got to ask like a very divinely human, humanly divine question because I feel like, I feel like my Swifties just got to hear this. Yes. Taylor Swift was in your bed. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Isn't that so funny? So yes, when I was still married and I also had C. diff, Literally, I was shitting my pants all day, every day. Is that like E. coli? It's like the most insane bacterial infection. This all happened six months before I had my full nervous breakdown. No, four months before I had my full nervous breakdown and stopped living in my bed. I had C. diff and I caught it in the hospital. 
for an endometriosis surgery. It's this crazy oh my God. bacterial infection that usually just old people get that like will literally clear out a entire nursing home because you die from dehydration from shitting yourself nonstop. It's insane. Yeah. It's literally you can't make this shit up. Cannot make that. I'm like, I have no pun intended. Truly. I'm like, I'm so happy to tell y'all all the seats that sit at my table because I have shit my pants nine million times. I had no pride left. It's just, <laughs> here we are. So I was in the midst of that when we got a phone call that they were looking for a house for like an A-list, whatever, whatever. And somehow this happens for me kind of kind of a lot. Like these just drop-ins will happen. And I knew right away it was Taylor Swift. Like nothing in me questioned it. I'm like, Taylor Swift's going to shoot her album art at my house. I knew. <laughs> I told my my ex-husband, I'm like, it's Taylor Swift. He's like, babe. I'm like, no, no it is Taylor Swift. She's going to be in our house and she's going to shoot her album art at our house. And how long after did she show up at your house? About a month later. Oh my God. Did you shit yourself when you saw her in your bed? Was it the same bed you shat in? Oh, absolutely. It's the same bed, but I didn't know I had C. diff. I just thought something, I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was like, I'm ill. I am not well. And we had one bathroom. So I'd have to like run across the street to the Portland brew coffee shop. And it'd be like, I'll be right back. And I'm like shitting my pants, but it's everything's fine. Taylor Swift sitting in my bed right now. Everything's fine. No worries. Everything's perfect. I mean, I was so not okay. And it was just this hilarious fun. So her whole album art for the red album, they did at my house. This house you're sitting in now? No, not this house. Once we got divorced, I got a different one. I've been in this house for a little while, but no, like the cover of it was in my backyard and all, I mean, there's photos of her in my chair and my bed and my dining room. I mean, it's, it's so fun. I'm sorry. I had to know more about that story and I, I needed to squeeze that in at the end. <laughs> How did she find you? So, so random. A friend of mine had taken photos of my house. And at that point, I didn't even know I was creative. I had no idea. I'd never taken an art class, no clue. And I was like, that became my one little outlet while I was living in my bed. Is like, I want it to feel so good in this house. If I'm going to have to live here for the rest of my life, it's going to look amazing and feel really good. And I had no, I mean, we had very little money. So it was on the tightest budget that you could imagine. I would just be like on eBay, you know, I'm like, I'm in a bed. So I had lots of time. I couldn't work. Yeah. And I made it, I guess, really cute. And <laughs> my friend Reed Rolls, who's a photographer, he would always stay with us when he was in town and he ended up taking photos of the house. And then it ended up on all these different design sites. And people thought that's what I did for a living. Like, I mean, I'm living in a bed with a wire in my brain. I'm like, no, no, I don't even know what the fuck, I have no idea. But from there, people thought that was my job and people told me I was creative. And then people thought I was like a stylist. And so those photos kind of circled around and this girl who is a photographer in town, I guess somehow had seen it. I have no idea how she saw it or how she came across it, but they had been looking for a house and hadn't been able to find something. And I guess it just fit the vibe of what they were looking for. And it was super random. Yeah. Vintage, very like timeless, right? Yeah. I like, and I mix, I don't ever know what I'm doing. I just do what I like. And so there's like old pieces, there's like family pieces. There's a, a lot of it was just from the flea market, you know, but it was eclectic and I'm very intentional. Everything kind of has a story and I love story and I'm like, I don't shop just to shop. So it's not like cluttered. It's just, no, it's really sweet. I, I really like my style. <laughs> 
I really love, I mean, I'm sure just oh. one glance at your Instagram page, people fall in love. But yeah, I highly encourage everybody to check out Ruthie's courses, classes, retreats, all of the above. Next thing you know, Taylor Swift might be sitting in the same bed you're shitting in. You never <laughs> know. Never- Listen, it's an aspiration. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it happened for you, I guess I can keep my hopes up. <laughs> you never know. You never know. What I'll we- take Lady Gaga. You can have Swift. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ruthie. Is there any last minute thoughts, requests, or hearts you would like to send to our listeners? Yes. Oh, thank you for that. Oh, beautiful human. Whoever you are listening to this right now, you are worthy because you exist. You are deserving. You are loved. You are love. You're held. Every part of you deserves love. You are divine simply because you exist. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You are love. You are love. You are love. Mm, I love you. (laughs) And I love you. Hey, self-lovers. One last little thing before we farewell. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a a review. (laughs) I was going to cut that out, but we'll just keep it in there. If you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. Your feedback helps the podcast grow. And as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words mean the world to me. Just search the show on Apple, scroll all the way down where you'll see a place to leave a review. (laughs) And if you're listening on Spotify, on the show's homepage, you'll see a little star. And if you click on that, there'll be a pop-up box where you can send in your rating. Thank you so much for helping me spread the gift of self-love. And speaking of the gift of self-love, that is the title of my book. You can pick it up at any bookstore, including Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, small indie bookstores. All those links can be found at maryscupoftea.com slash book. Thank you all so much for learning and growing and continuing to be on this self-love journey. It's truly an honor to be here with you. I love you and I will talk to you next time. And please, please don't forget to leave a review. (laughs) Bye.